to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. Today, we welcome Lindsay Pollack. Lindsay is the New York Times best selling author of Becoming the Boss New Rules for the Next Generation of Leaders. Her 2019 book, The Remix, How to Lead and Succeed in the Multi-Generational Workplace was named a Book of the Month by both the Wall Street Journal and Financial Times. Lindsay's upcoming book, A Response to the COVID Crisis, Recalculating, Navigate Your Career Through the Changing World of Work, will be published by HarperCollins in March 2021. And evidently, I relaunch is mentioned in it. I'm very excited about that. I have a lot of questions for Lindsay about this new book especially how to navigate at work in a virtual environment. And we're going to get to those in a minute. I want to say one more thing about Lindsay. She was named to the 2020 Thinkers 50 radar list of global management thinkers whose work is shaping the future of how organizations are managed and led. And I remember being on this list myself in 2017. Lindsay, welcome to 321 I Relaunch. Thank you so much for having me, Carol. Well, it's very exciting to be able to talk to you about all of this, uh, especially the topic of your new book. It is so relevant to the work we're doing here at iRelaunch with relaunchers who are in return to work programs and in completely virtual environments. So very interested in getting your advice on that. But can we please start by hearing a little bit about you first, your career, and how you got to where you are today as a best-selling author and a workplace expert? Absolutely. I think it is a story of relaunching and recalculating for 20 years. So um, the highlights are that I graduated from college and got a Rotary scholarship to grad school in Australia. And I got a master's degree in women's studies. My mom had started a business. I grew up listening to motivational speakers on the tape deck in her station wagon. I was really interested. It's true. In um in uh, women's entrepreneurship. So I studied that in grad school in Australia. I came back and I got my dream job um, in 1999 at a website called workingwoman.com. Some people might know the magazine Working mm-hmm. Woman. And I am telling you, Carol, I would still be there. It was, I loved it. It was everything I wanted to do. It was the internet, it was writing, it was networking. I got to go to every conference. Um, you know, I absolutely heard of you and your work, you know, very early on. And like many dot-coms, it went bankrupt in 2001, and I was absolutely devastated. 9-11 happened. I was in New York City, and I was kind of paralyzed. And Mm -hmm. I kind of used that almost accidentally as a chance to freelance. And at the time, you could somewhat cobble together a living as a freelance writer. And what happened is I accidentally never got another job. (laughs) So I I sort of say (laughs) that I became an entrepreneur in 2002, but I will be really honest, I was job hunting for years, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. half-heartedly. And what what really tipped things is I started writing about my experience being a recent college graduate and just how hard that is. I was an RA in college. I've always, you know, been interested in mentoring. I'm a big sister. Um, And I really started to tap into that work And what happened was kind of finding that messaging and that perspective really took off. I started writing about it. I started speaking about it. And my Rotary Club connections were where I started. And Rotarians Mm -hmm. would say, come speak to my daughter's Girl Scout troop. Come speak to my kid's high school. I didn't know that you could make money as a speaker until much later. Um, And slowly but surely, I built that up. Um, I published my first book in 2007, Getting from College to Career. And the real tipping point was in 2009, 
LinkedIn, which was still in early days, hired me as their first campus ambassador. Mm. So I went around teaching college students um, how to use LinkedIn. And then the real tipping point, which I think was sort of luck and serendipity, is uh, my branding was always early career expert, right? You know, mm-hmm. college to career expert. And then this little word millennial <laughs> sort of exploded <laughs> the scene right around the candidacy of Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really what sort of tipped the scales. And I remember the day I changed my website and my business cards to say millennial career expert. And that just hit a nerve. Um, that launched me into corporate speaking, a lot more of campus speaking. You know, that generation um, has been so profound in their impact and, and people's expectations of them. So I really pivoted from teaching millennials how to succeed to also teaching companies how to attract, retain, and engage millennial talent. About 10 years later, that evolved into the multi-generational story with my book, The Remix. And today I'm sort of relaunching and pivoting again. It's still very new. I'm kind of working through it. Um, But it's really worked for me to sort of trust the market. And what the market seems to be saying is the generational stuff is important, but this COVID crisis has changed everything. And I'm really trying to support people and organizations in this next pivot and recalculation. Mm, Fascinating. Gosh, I am so intrigued by that evolution. Just a side question. What age are millennials now, the entire range from oldest to youngest? So I go by the Pew Research Center definitions. I think that's the most reputable. Mm-hmm. And they define millennials as born between 1981 and 1996. So that means that millennials are hitting 40 yeah. um, and the youngest are in their mid-20s. Yep. Right. Because I, I have millennial tr- children. So, um, okay. Very interesting. I want to jump to focus on your upcoming book, uh, which is called Recalculating. And I want to paraphrase here about a a description of it, talking about how COVID-19 has heightened career uncertainty and is directly impacting how people are entering or re-entering the workplace. This means that the old job hunting and career success rules no longer apply. Job seekers of all generations and skill sets must learn how to thrive in this new normal, which will include a hybrid of remote and in-person experiences, increased reliance on virtual communication and automation, constant disruption, and renewed employer emphasis on workers' health and well-being. Well, that's a lot, and I, <laughs> you know, I, I'm guessing that spans, you know, the entire um, content of, of your book. But can you talk to us a little bit about the book and what jumped out at you, and how you even thought to construct it and figure out which topics were the most important to cover? Yeah, I've always heard that you should write the book that you want to read, which was certainly true of my first book, Getting from College to Career. And in March of this year, of 2020, like everybody, I didn't know what to do. I mean, my my speaking business was decimated. Nobody was holding events. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I, I truly had this flash of that moment when you're driving and you take a wrong turn and your GPS on your phone or, or your car says recalculating. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's what we all need to do. And, and it sort of was a moment of optimism because recalculating means there's another way, right? We can get you where you need to go. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, what can I do here? And what I did, and it's really my message to, to relaunchers in any situation is I started reaching out and talking to people. I made so many phone calls. I set up so many interviews, like, what are you doing? 
how are you thinking about this? Mm-hmm. You know, what's on your mind? And that's sort of the way the way that I that I operate. And I started to kind of identify the strategies. And I will tell you, it was not new stuff. It mm-hmm. was really going back to the basics. It was relationships. It was personal branding. It was you know, authenticity. It was, um, you know, casting a broader net in your job search or in your business opportunities. As much as you have to take into account the new tools that we have to do those sorts of things, like using Zoom instead of a phone call, it was really a lot of old stuff. Hmm. And so I, I even went back to like my my rotary days, you know, and said they used to get together and, and do business. And so, you know, what I really like about the idea of recalculating, and I play on this a lot in the book, is when you recalculate, you're not starting from scratch, right? The Mm. GPS takes into account how far you've come, Mm -hmm. right? And everything Mm -hmm. you've done to this point. And I think that's a message for relaunchers too. You are never starting from scratch. And even when I dug into the data of career changers, for instance, you know, you can pivot from a career in, you know, food service or law or what have you in another direction. And you're not starting at zero, you're probably starting at 80% or 50%. Mm -hmm. And that's something to really take into account. So I really felt optimistic when I was writing this book. And um, I'm using the the rules myself. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that discussion about recalculating and not starting from scratch. I'm going to have to quote you on that. I'm going to get that exact quote. We're going to put it it out there, uh, Lindsay. So thank you. That's very, very uh, instructive. And it's it's a good visual and everyone can relate to it because most people have GPS and have had that recalculating (laughs) experience. So um, thank you. Uh, So let's get to the I think the most important challenge that we're seeing relaunchers have who are inside return to work programs right now, they're being told, reach out and meet new people, but they don't have the um, benefit of running into someone in the hall or, you know, walking out of a meeting together. Some of these cat, the casual interactions that people um, would normally have in the work environment. So I want to talk about this part first, and then I want to um, go back and talk about how people network and interact in the job search. But let's first talk about relaunchers who are already in the work environment. So I so relate to this. I love meeting people in person. I love having coffee. I love those serendipitous moments. Um, I had a conversation um, early in the pandemic that completely flipped my thinking on this. Um, I want to credit Steve Dalton, who's the author of a book, The Two-Hour Job Search. He's uh, Mm. uh, in career services at the Duke Fuqua School of Business. And he said, Lindsay, it's easier now than it was before. Hmm. And I said, what What are you talking about? (laughs) And he said, number one, everybody's captive, right? Everybody is at home, you know, sorry, not everybody, but many people are working from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people are desperate for human connection and people are less busy, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in various ways. And so what he said was, you know, tap into that. If you flip your thinking that it's easier now or more powerful now, or people are more available now, you sort of re-energize your you know, belief that you can reach out to people. And what it reminds me of, Carol, is the very, very early days of email. So if you go back to the mid-90s, do you remember there was sort of a blip in time in the mid-90s? I'm talking like AOL days for those who oh, are yeah, listening. Oh, yeah, I was that. there. <laughs> and you could email like anyone because it was like, I got an email. You know, I remember it was so easy to reach out to people because it was so novel that you were like, oh, my gosh. And I remember you could sort of do that. And people were, were sort of charmed by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, it's actually easier now than it was in the financial crisis. 
um, because of this sort of you know, craving of human connection. So I think you do all the same things you did before. You ask somebody for, quote, coffee, but it happens to be a Zoom. You ask for five minutes of someone's time. You reach out. And I think people are so craving that connection that they're often happy to do it. And the other thing that Steve said that I loved, and I always credit him, is he said, don't be afraid to ask. Because the people who say no, you haven't really lost anything. You know, you put yourself on a limb. It's so what? It's low stakes. But he said the people who say yes will be inordinately helpful. Mm. And so if you just focus on, you know, I'm going to reach out to 100 people. If 10 say yes, they're going to be more helpful than the other 90 combined. I thought that was a really nice perspective to take. Everybody won't say yes, but the ones who do will be inordinately helpful. You know, the comment, though, that I'm hearing of... um just in response to this, and and I I really like the reframing of it. Um, as you're saying, Steve Dalton says to that it's easier than before, and the comparison to the early email because I I can directly relate to that. I remember it. Um, but what we're hearing from people who are inside, uh, they're already working. They're in return to work programs. Some of them are in what we call returnship models where they're they're working for maybe 16 weeks and then after that time the company makes a decision about whether they stay on or not and what i'm hearing from them is they're afraid to reach out to people because they're afraid those people are busy um, with work that they're doing for the company and that somehow it would be an imposition on them to spend the 15 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever. I don't know how you how you would do a five minute, but something like that on Zoom. And you have to sort of ping them or reach out and especially and ask for that Zoom call. Any advice there? Yeah. And this is going to sound flippant, but I don't mean it flippantly at all. Do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. People are busy. Yeah. Okay. You might be bothering them. Do it anyway. And the ones who say yes will be inordinately helpful. Okay. Because some people love to shoot the breeze. Some people would love to talk about now, do your homework, right? Find out who is interested in what, who wants to talk about what. And, and I think one of the other ways to flip the script on networking, especially for anyone who just doesn't like it in person or virtually, is offer to help other people. Instead of asking for help, say, uh, you know, Carol, I love what you're doing at iRelaunch. I'd love to hear about any ways I could support you. Could mm-hmm. we have a 10-minute call, mm-hmm. right? I love what your team is doing, and I'm so grateful, you know, to be in this company. I'd love to talk to you for 10 minutes. You know, I'm also, I keep going back to, to the Rotary conversation. For those who don't know, they're, you know, really old-fashioned business clubs that would meet over lunch or breakfast or what have you. And people would go and say, you know, uh, we had a give or a get right? Here's what I need. Here's what I can help you with. And it was kind of old fashioned networking. So join an employee resource group at the company where you're in a program. Uh, Sign up. I was just reading one of the best ways that people are connecting corporately in the pandemic is join a volunteer project that people Mm -hmm. are putting together. Um, Sign up for someone who needs help, you know, anywhere where you can sort of jump into a situation that will give you something in common you know, think about where can I give? Uh, Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, always said when he goes on to LinkedIn, he doesn't say, what can I get out of my network today? He said, he goes in with the mindset, who can I help? Mm-hmm. And that's where your networking starts. And so I think if you come in at not like, I need a job here, I need to stay, I need to network, but who can I connect with? Who can mm-hmm. I offer help to? What project or team or committee can I support? I think that has a very different vibe. Um, and, you know, the other piece is, be smart about it. You know, I would say, I wrote about this in the book. If you went to my college, if we have something in common, 
you know, if we're from the same hometown, I, I literally will accept people on LinkedIn just because their name is Lindsay, like mine. It's like if you have <laughs> any connection or anything we have in common, I'm more likely to say yes. So I think when you sort of do the work to find those commonalities and those connections with people, I think people will respond. If you send a hundred cold call emails with nothing personal, no, I don't think people will respond. But I think mm-hmm. if you show that you've put in some work first, I think most people will be will be very receptive to that. Mm-hmm. And the ones who aren't, who cares? Mm-hmm. That's great advice. And there's so much that's in the public domain about people because their LinkedIn profiles, if they have them, they tell have a lot of information. So... That's a great idea to, to look at the, like peruse their LinkedIn profile and see where there's common ground. I, I also know I have that kind of connection when I'm from Southern California, originally born and raised in Long Beach, mm-hmm. California, and now I'm on the East coast for years. But when uh, people connect with me and they're, and, or they're reaching out and they're in the Southern California area, and I have some connection with that particular location, I'm more drawn to connect with that person. Totally. It's so funny. I had, when I was living in Australia, I remember somebody said, oh my gosh, you're from New York. I have a friend in Toronto. Can we talk? And I was like, sure. I mean, like, that's how that's how loose these things have to be. But it said, oh, you have found something that is a connection, right? So I, I love it. I think that's fantastic. All right. I, I want to ask you um, a couple more details on, on this, probing a little bit more. Um, people who are extroverts and feel that they're feeling very inhibited by the, this sort of Zoom environment. When there used to be the the people who are kind of roaming the halls and are and are or maybe they're in sales um and and they have a certain kind of personality where they really feed on the interactions or they gather everyone at the end of the day and say, hey, why don't we all uh, go grab a drink somewhere or something like that? How, is there any replacement or um, advice you have for that kind of personality? Boy, it's so hard. And look, I don't want to play this down. This is a terrible situation. I mean, there's mm-hmm. nothing about this. You know, yeah, maybe networking would be easier, but this is horrible. And, and you know, I'm so glad you asked because a lot of people are very worried about introverts, which is, you know, important. But I'm also very worried about extroverts. Yeah. And what I see is play to your strengths. If you are an extrovert, plan all the Zoom calls, plan the Zoom escape room thingy with your company, mm-hmm. volunteer to do that stuff for yourself and your fellow extroverts. Reach out to people, DM them on Instagram, make the funny videos, send around the Bernie memes with everybody at your company. You know, do that stuff and and sort of, I think like unleash it is what mm-hmm. I would say because a lot of us sort of rely on you for that. And, and I think introvert, uh, extroverts are having a very hard time. I'm glad you're thinking about that. So I would say play to your strengths. And you know what, if two people show up, then it's two people. And if not, no big deal. The stakes are sort of lower. Mm-hmm. you know, to set up a Zoom. And, and it's not always great. You know, I also think things like Twitter chats, right? And I've just joined Clubhouse, the the audio oh, yeah. app. Do the things that feel good to you and play to that. I mean, you could be on Clubhouse all day if you want to. Go for it if that makes you feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. All right. And then what about, are, well, I also want to talk about introverts or even people who don't classify themselves one way or the other, but simply find um, the, everything about the Zoom environment to be super awkward, um, like from how they look on screen to, um, you, you know, how they ask a question or interact in a meeting or, you, you know, this awkward outreach that we already talked about. 
awkward seems to be a theme um, that that I'm hearing a lot. So um, any, I guess I wanted to ask you that in combination with, is there like etiquette that you've seen sort of emerge that maybe reduces the awkwardness? Oh my gosh, who would have ever thought we'd be talking about awkwardness in yeah. this way? Um, you know, my my gut reaction, and I'll go into detail, is embrace the awkward. And I, I have a couple of examples. But um, I think, first of all, if you're a manager of people in any way, I really do think leaders have a role in making it less awkward. For instance, I work with a lot of teams that have very junior people who are maybe living in their parents' basement or have younger siblings at home. Give everybody a virtual background, mm-hmm. right? So that you don't have to feel unsafe or uncomfortable. So I think there are there are things leaders can do to minimize the awkwardness. Um, invite people to turn cameras off when necessary. Um, turn off, you know, your ability to see your face. There are things that you can do, but you know, I think as a general rule, you know, embrace the awkward. And I'm trying to do this. It's very hard for me. I'm very vain. I'm much more vain than I ever thought I was because I feel like <laughs> I have to put on makeup. I do the thing on Zoom where you can make yourself your skin look better. Um, but I, you know, I've had these moments, and they were kind of accidental. I remember I was on the phone with one client and I hadn't talked to him in a while and he came onto the Zoom and Carol, the facial hair was out of control. And I had never seen him like this. And I I didn't even think, I just blurted out, oh my God, because he just, he looked like a mountain man and he burst out laughing. And I thought, and you know, the times I have a nine-year-old daughter and she busts in and, you know, says something or she's wearing her pajamas or her shirt is off or, or the dog barks. I, I think that, you know, within reason, um, I think it's okay to just embrace it. And I think sometimes, you know, I, I do a lot of coaching with people who have, you know, something that they might be self-conscious about. I'm sure you do too. And I remember I've worked with several people who've had a stutter, um, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thrilled that Joe Biden has really brought this out. And, you know, what I've always said is just say at the beginning, you know what, I have a stutter. I want you to be aware of it. You know, and once you say it at the beginning, it sort of gets it out of the way. Mm-hmm. And so I often will say in a Zoom call, all right, my hair looks ridiculous today. Like, let's move on. And, and it, it just sort of <laughs> deflates the energy around it. So I think sometimes if you're in a more junior position or if you're in a program where you're being assessed, it's a little bit harder. I would also say if you're staring at yourself everybody else is staring at themselves too, and nobody's looking at you. So I would sort of say, be aware that probably people are looking at you a lot less than you think, and you can kind of rest easy. But yeah, this whole thing is awkward. Nothing about this is normal. And I think we have to just kind of accept and and appreciate that. Got it. And let's jump to the job search for a minute. Um, So does your advice change in any way for people who are looking to get hired right now and are not already in the work environment? Are there certain strategies that are unique to the virtual COVID environment that they need to be aware of? Yeah. The first is don't be paralyzed like I was after 9-11. There are jobs and there are jobs at every level and it might be harder if you're a relauncher or if you're over a certain age, but there are jobs. So Mm -hmm. what I would say about job hunting now is it's about this virtual environment. That's the most, that's the biggest change right now. And I think you have to take it on it. And in this, I think you have no choice. You have got to become an expert in the virtual job search. You have to be an expert in how you appear on Zoom, how your camera is angled, uh, what your background looks like or using a virtual background, um, the, the sort of taking a pause before somebody else speaks so that you don't speak over an interviewer. And that takes practice. So just as you might mock interview with a career center or double check your resume, I think people think, well, I'll just hop on the Zoom and, and be who I am in person. No, it is a different skill. 
And I think it's something that has to be practiced. Um, uh, Ian Siegel, the CEO of ZipRecruiter said that first minute, that first second that your camera goes on, that is a first impression. And you have total control over that first second. You have to own that and not kind of wing it and assume that it will go, okay, you have got to practice. Okay. And are there any resources that people should uh, should uh, consult to know what to do to set up how you appear great and your lighting and, and all of this? Is, is... Yes. Okay. I have uh, oh, oh, here we go. There you go. I love it. I love it. Tell me about your dog. What kind of dog do you have? And tell me. I'm actually babysitting my daughter's dog, who's a combination Chihuahua Jack Russell Terrier that she rescued. So I just cheated because I knew that because I follow you on Instagram. Ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, he's very cute, and and he wandered in here right before the podcast started, even though he was supposed to be in a different area, and I was thinking. Do I let him stay in here and actually hope that he barks so we could talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> and and is this, you know, obviously if you're doing a job interview, you probably want to make sure that your dog is not in the room, but for work calls, you know, as you were saying, kids and and other people in the family wander into the screen and away from it and all sorts of things happen and it does kind of humanize things a little bit. It does. And you know, to your point about job interviews, yes, you want to do your very, very best to make it professional. But I've asked recruiters for the book, you know, come on, like some people can't control it. If your toddler yeah. walks in and you don't have a lock in the door and they said, you know what, we get it. How you handle it is what we're looking at. Mm. So if you say, oh, excuse me, that was just my daughter. And then you move on. But if you say, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. That was all. They want to see how you handle something unexpected, because guess what? Life is unexpected and work mm -hmm. is unexpected. So I think it's a way to sort of recover. Um, I even interviewed somebody who um, had a total technology meltdown, but they were so calm and they you know, rebooted and got back on the call and, and she got the job. And she said one of the things they said was how seamlessly you handled that situation made us really confident in you. So like, don't, don't do it on purpose to, to try to show that skill. But I, <laughs> right. thought, I thought that was really interesting. So to answer your question about resources, um, number one, old school, I am the biggest fan in the world of university and college career centers. Mm -hmm. They are free, even if you have graduated, yeah. Uh, I don't care if you graduated 50 years ago, they will help you. Many schools will also help people from the local community. So if your alma mater is not an option or you didn't graduate from college, often they will serve you as well. And they will do mock interviews for you to practice the technology. So that's number one. Number two, almost every employer I've interviewed will tell you in advance what the technology is. If it's a proprietary software for their company, they will often give you access to practice. Some companies will even give you sample questions. So there is no excuse for not practicing and trying to log in and set up the technology before the interview. Something like Zoom, which is you know among the most common, you can record yourself on Zoom mm -hmm. on your own for free and see what you look like. And the last thing I'm going to say, the number one resource is for $9.99, go on Amazon or your favorite retailer and buy a ring light, R-I-N-G, a <laughs> ring light. This brown light that makes you look a hundred times better. It is inexpensive and easy, and lighting is sort of the secret of looking good on camera. Mm, excellent, excellent ideas. You know, I really love this concept of employers or you know future employers looking at how you handle the situation uh, and and even making that part of their evaluation uh, as and that's something that 
is kind of a product, I guess, of, of being in this virtual environment now. And also, as you're pointing out, something that uh, relaunchers and other job seekers can control. You can practice and uh, anticipate it ahead of time and even do mock situations where the dog's barking or someone walks in or you have a tech issue and practice how you would handle that smoothly. And you know they're going to ask about the gap in your resume. Mm -hmm. They are. Mm -hmm. Have an answer. Have prepared your answer. Have your salary expectation. Be able to say, I remember in my first job interview, my voice cracked when I, because I never said the number, you know, out loud. <laughs> but I think on that issue, and I think of, of relaunchers, and I, I get so many, you know, there's just so many different reasons why somebody might be relaunching, of course. And they're going to ask, but all they want is for you to have a good answer. And I actually interviewed Dan Black from uh, EY, mm -hmm. and he said, we know the world fell apart because of the pandemic. That's not a surprise. We're not going to judge you, but we are going to ask, what did you do during the pandemic? How did you use that year that you were not working? How did you, you know, transition? You have to expect it and you have to have a good answer. Um, they're not looking for a particular answer, but they want to know what you will say and how you handle it. And there are many, many ways to do that well, but if you own your answer and you're positive about it, that's how they're going to respond. Mm. That's so interesting. So, you know, we're, we do talk to relaunchers, you know, we have for a long time about acknowledging their career break, don't apologize and, and move on to why you're the best person for the job. But this whole idea about anticipating the, what did you do during the COVID year piece yep. for, um, for relaunchers or people who don't consider themselves relaunchers or who might have uh, left the workforce during COVID or lost their job during COVID, thinking that you know th they're going to be applying after a very short career break, that is a very good answer to think about ahead of time. They will ask. Interesting. All right. Um, do you think, so I remember when you were the millennials expert before <laughs> you evolved and evolved um, and evolved. Um, and I know your focus is so much broader now, but I'm interested in uh, just jumping at, back for a minute and looking at the millennial population, especially the older ones. It seems like they're old enough now to start taking career breaks themselves. And I remember Manpower uh, came, Manpower Group came out with a survey of millennials in 2016. It was published, and it said 84% of millennials were anticipating a future career break. Now, they, the way they defined that career break was four weeks to four years. But if you look at the data <laughs> more uh, closely, you could see that many of the reasons that people were looking at career breaks pointed to a longer-term career break. So. Any commentary on whether you think people are going to be taking more career breaks in the future? I think that's more the norm than working straight through. Um, and I think it already is. Um, there were stories years ago about millennials, quote, retiring in their 20s, you know, and traveling and moving to Florida and playing golf and then working the rest of their lives. I mm -hmm. think they have a very different conception of what a career path looks like. Um, they have absolutely no belief in, and Gen Z is the younger group even more than millennials. They have no, no belief that they're going to work for the same company or the same industry for their whole career. Mm -hmm. That model is gone. And mm -hmm. I think we all, you know, mostly agree with that. And so a break here, a break there, maybe I'm going to do some gig work, maybe I'm going to start my own business. I think there's a huge percentage of millennials who have, quote, side hustles. I just think that model that, you know, four weeks to four years is a break. I think they see it all as life. It's the same reason they don't like the word work-life balance. They always say to me, well, it's all my life. So why are you separating it? Mm -hmm. um, I think they're really going to get away from that model 
that taking a year not working is in any way a disruption. It's just kind of part of the flow. And I think COVID is only adding to that belief. Because by the way, when you look at most people's careers, particularly women, that's kind of reality anyway, to have some interruption at some point. I think that's just going to be increasingly the norm. You know, this is fascinating to me because we very early on in 2007, when iRelaunch started, we were very focused on women who took career breaks for childcare reasons. But since then, we've become very, very broad in the way we look at it. Men, women, people who take career breaks for a whole range of reasons, only one of which is childcare. Um, So this idea that you're talking about where people anticipate there'll be career breaks here or there makes me feel even more strongly that employers that have these return to work programs are signaling so strongly to these uh, employees who might be taking future career breaks that it's a normal part of life. We expect it. And we've created this program to reintegrate you. I love it. Uh, it reminds me of Sylvia Ann Hewlett on ramps, on ramps yeah. and off ramps. Um, I'm also thinking of companies and, and um, there was an accounting firm I spoke to. Their philosophy is even if you leave our company, connect with us on LinkedIn, join our alumni group. Our uh, executive recruiters are going to connect with you because you are now in our family. And even if you are not working here, as long as you've left on good terms, you know, um, we will welcome you back. And I Mm -hmm. think that's what we're going to see more of, which is it's not, you know, once you leave, you're dead to us and you're gone. It's life and careers are really long. Millennials and Gen Zs are going to have careers of 50 or 60 years. I think we need to acknowledge that, that nobody's retired. My dad retired at 55 from public school teaching. That's that's never happening again. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to be working into your 70s or 80s, as so many people do now, that's a really long time. And I think programs like yours, which I do shout out in recalculating, um, <laughs> yeah, programs like yours, you. I think are going to help people do that because the problem is Companies should all have them, but I think they're sort of stuck in this old model. Kind of like, remember how long we were stuck in the uh, nuclear family model that everybody was like two parents and two kids and a a picket fence. And we all sort of acknowledge that's not the most common life situation anymore. I think companies have yet to catch up with the reality that people are not going to work there forever. And I think the progressive organizations that offer programs like iRelaunch and have alumni networks and sort of allow this flow I think are the ones who are going to win because I just think that's how life works now and probably will in the future. Yeah. And you're underscoring a critical piece that has to happen as part of this process. I actually wrote an article for Harvard Business Review about this. uh, I think it was four or five years ago, but it's very relevant today about tracking the people who leave to go on career break or who are leaving right now because of COVID, leaving for reasons that have nothing to do with performance. Uh, Mm -hmm. because on the exit interview, sometimes companies are very precise about track, uh, you know, documenting where the person's going next if it's another company, but they're not precise about tracking what they're doing if they're not continuing at another company at the moment. So, you know, another way is for, as you're pointing out, for them to join the um, alumni group of, of the company if they have an online alumni group. But I think that this tracking at the exit interview piece is going to become more and more important and then reconnecting with these same high performers at different points as they weave in and out of the workforce. Totally agree. Interesting. All right. So, um, Lindsay, we're winding up now, and I want to end with the question that we ask all of our podcast guests, and that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? So 
in my book, I have five rules for recalculators and rule number five, we've already talked about, but I am going to underline it. Ask for help. When everything cratered in March, my instinct was just start to reach out to people. And I go back to Steve Dalton's line, the people who say yes will be inordinately helpful, but nothing will happen unless you ask. Mm -hmm. So ask for help. Mm, Good one. Um, Lindsay, this has been a pleasure. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Before we um, finish up, I want to know if you can tell our audience how they can find out more about your work and especially your soon-to-be-released book, Recalculating. Thank you so much for having me, Carol. I've been a fan for a long time, and I've, I relaunched more times than I can count. Um, <laughs> I could talk about this stuff all day, so if anyone wants to nerd out and talk to me about it, I'm on all the social networks um, at my name, Lindsay Pollock, and my website is lindsaypollock.com, and I will spell it because it is one of the harder names to spell. L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. P-O-L-L-A-K. And the new book is called Recalculating. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Lindsay. It was a pleasure. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the CEO and co-founder of I Relaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.